Right. Shalom, everyone. It's not live. We are listening now. We're also recording this, as you can probably hear if you're listening to the recording. Um, great. So this is the first of a few mifigashim, uh, a few meetups that we'll have. Bezat Hashem. We hope to have one every week, maybe even twice a week. We'll see exactly what is more comfortable for people. And I plan on Bezat Hashem at a certain stage sending some kind of Google form for guys to fill in exactly when is best for them. So it's up to you guys exactly when we meet, but that is the plan. Great, so first of all, welcome everyone. It's nice to have you guys here. And uh, this is actually, interestingly enough, the end of Sefer Yoshua, even though we've already been learning for about three weeks. Nonetheless, we've already, uh, since it was in Ben Azmanim, the first Mifigash, the first meetup, is at the end of Sefer Yoshua. Now, before I start the actual share, I just want to give a few uh, interesting tips and tools for uh, learning online. Uh, and I will send together with this recording with Zerat Hashem on, uh, to the group some links to the stuff that we're seeing now so that you can uh, either follow, on, follow along if you want or follow up. So first of all, we're going to go to Atar Tanach. I'm sorry the light's a bit yellow because uh, they seem to have a problem with the projector. But first of all, Atalatanach is the official site of Herzog. They have a website for the college and this is their big uh, masterpiece. Atalatanach is a fantastic website. The Atalatanach has on it the whole Tanach with all sorts of fantastic little bits and bobs around the site. So first of all, you can see, for example, this is the Peric of today. Perak Yoshua, Yoshua Perak of Gimel. Unfortunately, it's not in English just yet. Actually, the Taratanach might be in English. Parts of it is. There we go. Uh, 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 mm? No, you see? It's not that part. There's on the Parsha in English, but there isn't on the Perak Yomi in English. So the Perak Yomi, you see the second tab here. This is Yoshua Perak of Gimel. And similar to 99, which we'll get to in a minute, you see there are all sorts of different things you can go into. Articles, Shiurim. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there's also audio as well you there uh, and uh, here you can hear a shir by Raviol Benun there you go so that's fantastic and you can go back I just lost myself we can just we can go back to there you see also they have all sorts of other shirim as well that you can listen to that are connected to all sorts of stuff and now we go back to the Limud Yomi and you can see that apart from the Shi'urim, the articles and all sorts of stuff, there are all sorts of tools which we will uh, pop into just to see. Here are a series of little small vignettes. Some of them are audio, some of them are reading. Very, very handy. You can read through it. There's Parshanut, there's maps, there's all sorts of other stuff. And that's a lot of fun. So that I highly recommend. It's not in English just yet. Probably won't be for a while, but it is in Hebrew. It's very useful. Moving on to something which is equally useful is the 929 project itself. I don't know if you guys follow it. It's very useful. They have an app which you can very easily download. And likewise, it has in it the actual Perak, which you can read and hear via audio. And uh, in addition to that, they have all sorts of articles and small little kind of news pieces. They have videos, YouTube clips, all sorts of very fascinating stuff. And the beauty of this is this is also in English. As you can see, 
you can follow through in English, you can read it in English, you can read it in Hebrew, and there's all sorts of other uh, articles and stuff in English. Now, was that? Yeah, Trump. Yeah, Yaakov Trump. Don't know who he is. Probably Jewish. Um, right, now, I'm going to come back. I'm going to now introduce another thing, right? And this is really very impressive. Right, this is Lomdim Tanach, and this is the special program of Medurata Shevet, right, or Perika Shevet. And I'll send a link to this because this really is a cool deal. I'm choosing a parak which everyone will have seen because it's the first one. Uh, I don't know how many people are up to date. Here, this was actually developed for schools. It was developed for kids to follow along, and this is uh, made to be really user friendly. So first of all, you have the Kriya. Again, this is not in English, unfortunately. This is all in Hebrew. But it's all point-based. If you've read the Perek, you read through and you click that. You read the Perek, you get a point. And you, with those points, you can rack up points. And since I'll send a link to a group, we are a group of guys learning together. So all the points that you rack up also rack up points for the group. So it's worth, it pushes people to, to try more, to catch up, to add more stuff. And there's all sorts of stuff that you can do here as well. Little points, all sorts of ideas. For example, the higher data. We can go into the higher data. What is the four, what is the phrase that appears four times in the parak? And then it, it tells you a small vignette. Look it up. It says, We're talking about parak Aleph of Yoshua. Chazak Vematz appears four times. Interesting. I never knew that. Now, you went in there. You saw that. You click that you did it, great, you got another point. And again, there are all sorts of chidonim, all sorts of, uh, how do you translate chidon? Chidon quizzes, uh, like who is called Evet Hashem in the Perek? Is it Moshe, is it Yoshua, is it Aaron? What's the answer, guys? Moshe. Very good. Right? Number two. Number two. How many times does Moshe appear in the Perek? Nine, four, three, or eleven? 11? Four. Lucky guess. 11. Very good. Next. According to Yeshua says to the two tribes, two and a half, that are going to move with them, but some are going to stay behind. Who's going to stay behind? Now, for this, you have to actually have read the parak, Right? So, is it the shepherds? Is it the kids and the old people? Is it no one will stay? Or is it the women, the kids, and the flocks? Last one. Absolutely. Very good. Great. Fantastic. So you see, now you press this and another three points. Fantastic. There are games which you can play as well. You can match up all sorts of stuff. Who said what to whom? And then again, check it. It's really, really fun. What's that? It is very similar to Chidona Tanakh and it has uh, the added benefit of all sorts of interesting stuff. For example, uh, a summary of the Perek and like kind of just bullet points what's going on so if you don't have time to read the whole thing it has an idea that they give you again with pictures and cool stuff because this was directed for kids and then it also has something interesting as well which is something a vignette which is a personal element to the story as in what can I learn from this like what can I take for myself so for example here in Perek Aleph it says, Have you ever received some kind of pep talk or some kind of personal kind of conversation with someone that really helped you out? Because that's really what Yeshua is going through with Hashem when he becomes a leader. So here, for example, we have 
an example of some reflection, self-reflection. And last of all, the cool stuff is we have Chalom Shamit Gashem. This is something that connects the Perek to the state of Israel, something new, right? The idea, Lo Yamush Sefer Picha. The idea, for example, of when even though Yoshua is a warrior going into the land of Israel to fight, nonetheless he takes the Torah with him. And we see here a big, uh, beautiful picture of the Chayalim at the Kotel receiving a Tanakh together with their gun. When they start out, just like Yoshua starts out, there's some kind of very beautiful thing of continuing the story of Sefer Yoshua. So here we go. The link, I will send the link in uh, the group. I'll actually... Uh, Actually, I'll send another explanation on the group just for those who don't listen to the recording. And then I'll send the link. And the points go to Olam Abbas, for sure. And they also, again, it's not exactly clear. I think to a certain degree there's a little prize sign. But I remember speaking to the guy who runs this that they haven't yet organized the prizes. But you might know. You never know. And uh, we'll see. Let's, let's, they say keep your eye on the prize. We might be able to actually have some prizes involved. So, fine. So, that's what we've had today. We, I'm going to summarize. We first saw the Atar Tanakh. Fascinating thing. You can also search the Tanakh. All sorts of concordances. All sorts of... Uh, here, let's just go for in, for example. See the Perek. Right. No, that's the other Perek. That's the next Perek. Oh, here, here, for example, Kriyaba Tanakh. And then you can go into... Bring, bring up all the Mafarshim. Or even if you just click on a Pasuk, for example, we want to read Pasuk Yudbet. So if you read to click on the Parshanut and you click on Pasuk Yudbet, it will bring up the Parshanim of Pasuk Yudbet. So you're there able to see, to read, learn more, compare, contrast. And we'll get to maps later on because maps is pretty, really, really cool. And I really want to show this on a different Perak where there's a lot to see. But fine, so again, we saw the Atar we saw the Perik Yomi with all the different bits and bobs, that's on the Tanakh website, we saw the Perik Yomi in English and in Hebrew on the 929 website, and last of all, we saw the Medurata Perik, which is a special app where you can play along, learn the Perik, rack up points, and just generally have a fun time. What are the points for? What are the points for? Well, as always, the question is, what is the point of the point? So, uh, here, there's a certain... Very good. There's a certain uh, inbuilt uh, drive to amass, right? That's why people collect stuff, by the way. That's what my dad taught me. Like, inside of you, there's always a little kernel of the divine spark that says amass, amass, amass. Build, gain, grow. And the answer is you should amass religious points, right? Torah mitzvahs, right? The idea, for example... Just, I was just learning today, you have to say, ideally we should say 100 brachas every day, the idea of counting and, and racking up points, racking up uh, different things that we take with us. So points could be the same idea here, but they could also just be just generally nice to see how you're doing. There's, I think there's also like kind of a top 10, who's got the most points, how are you doing. It's a small little motivational skill. And uh, the truth is, certain schools use this, and the schools give prizes to the kids that actually rack up points. So there is definitely a purpose for the points. For us, I'll speak to the school and see if the school wants to give prizes to those who rack up points. So fine. So great. So that's that. And now let's move on to our Chabura. Now, um, this is uh, 
very useful even for those who are not up to date. Uh, I'm reminding everyone today's parak is Perik Kaf Gimel, and that is the second to last parak in Sefer Yoshua. But this shear, which I'm sure you can listen to hopefully online as we'll put it up, you can listen to at any time, is a very useful shear because it is the summary of the book of Yoshua. Now, uh, in the book of Yoshua, we have three main parts. Okay, and I'm just going to quickly write on the board some of the main parts and explain as I go along. So I'm just going to quickly scribble some down. So, first of all, how many Prakim are there in Sefer Yoshua? 24, very good, 24 Prakim, of which they are divided up into basically uh, five parts. All right, uh, well, five which are four. All right, we have uh, the first part, which is the story of Yoshua himself. Again, it's not actually the story per se, but it is the introduction to Yoshua, which is Perik Aleph, Minu Yoshua, when Yoshua is promoted or elected or, or, or tasked after the death of, of Moshe Rabbeinu. As we saw previously, as we were just on the game, how many times did Moshe Rabbeinu appear in the first chapter? Eleven. Right? How many times does Yoshua appear in the first chapter? The answer is not eleven. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's four. Which is interesting, because it show you, shows you the balance of what the first parak is all about. It's all about Moshe Rabbeinu dying, and who's going to fill that vacuum. And then we move on from there to, cha- to part A. Right? Part A is Ma'avar HaYerden, crossing into the land of Israel. Right? Which includes... Perik Bet. What happens in Perik Bet? Best we send out the spies. All right, I'm going to go through the whole of Sefer Yoshua. All right, some of it's on the board, some of it I didn't manage to scribble on before. So just bear with me. Um, Perik Aleph, setting up Yoshua. Perik Bet, we send out the spies. Right? Perik Gimel, we prepare to cross the Jordan. We get everyone ready. We explain the plan. Who's going to go where? The Karnim. Remember the Karnim? The Aaron the water, and so on and so forth. Perik Dalet, we actually crossed the water, all the people crossing. We explained in the audio notes exactly how that worked, and all sorts of interesting stuff about that. Perik Hay is Brit Milah Pesach, right? Which is a fantastic opportunity to take a small little window of understanding into the religious role of the Jewish people. We see that Sefer Yoshua is a direct continuation from the Chumash. Unlike other places in Tanakh where it's not exactly clear if they are following the Torah, not following the Torah, are doing well, not doing well, Sefer Yoshua spits. Everyone is on point. Everyone is keeping the Torah, keeping the mitzvahs. Fresh off the boat, we've just crossed into the land of Israel. We see the Nisim. We see everything happening. So Perik Hay is Brit Milah Pesach, which basically uh, introduces or inducts all the males who were not circumcised, into the Jewish family, so we can really get on with it. Perek Vav, right? We're now entering phase B. Phase B of the Sefer is the Kibush, right? Phase B of the Sefer is Kibush of land of Israel, the capturing, the conquering of the land. Perek Vav, we conquer Yericho, very important place to conquer. The ancient land of Israel, in many ways, the key to the rest of the land of Israel. What happens in Perek Zion? Do you remember? Achan. We learn about the guy who messed up in Yericho, and as a result, we failed in the I. Exactly. Very good. Perek Chet is I, 
times two, right? I the second. Trying again, trying to recapture the I, right? This time, Yoshua learns his lesson, talks like Hashem Baruch Hu, gets a plan. Very interestingly, from here onwards, we see we more or less move into a strategic human planning of the war. Obviously, we will have in Milchemet Hamerkaz, I think, in Perik Yud, we will have some Nisim. See the Perik Yud or Perik Yud Aleph, right? But apart from that, generally, we are moving out of the realm of miracles and into the realm of natural fought war. That natural fought war will follow us through with the rest of Tanakh and David Melech and Shaul Melech and Shlomo and so on and so forth. All fought wars. Shlomo doesn't fight any wars. But the rest of the kings fight natural wars. Is it easy to fight a natural war? No. And that's why it's not simple. That's why when we lost in the eye, the Jews and Yoshua kind of freaked out because doing this alone without Hashem's help is not easy. At the end of the eye, we go to Eval and Grizim. Does anyone remember what Eval and Grizim is? Sorry? The Brachar Klala. Very good. This is around Shechem, uh, which is very interesting because Givonim also seems to be around Shechem as well, which is Perik Tet, the next Perik. But Eval and Grizim is really, again, continuing Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu told us about Eval and Grizim, and here we do it. Here's the check being paid. Perik Tet, the Givonim. If you remember, there were a group of... Sorry? The trickery ones, exactly. These guys are really, really fascinating because they really get the better over... They manage to trick the, the, the Skenim and Yoshua by turning up, pretending to be some kind of faraway tribe and saying, make peace with us. And the Jews make peace with them. And then they find out that they were actually local guys who they were not allowed to make peace with. So here's a tricky one. And actually, interestingly enough, keep your eye on the Givonim because the Givonim appear again in Tanakh. And here's a little vignette. The Givonim appear again in Tanakh with Shaul and David. Shaul had a whole campaign against David, trying to find him, trying to catch him. And David the Melech ran away and was involved with, he didn't exactly hide there, but he received aid from the Mishkan. And in the Mishkan, work the Givonim. Why? It says at the end of the Perik, the Givonim, at the end of Perik Tet, that Yeshua says, listen, you guys... Sorry? That will be the water carrying... Exactly. They will be the Shoah. Yeshua said, listen, you guys are real tricksters, and we're not happy with you, so we're going to give you the dirty job of being the help. Right? You guys are going to basically be the assistants. You're going to do the kitchen work. You're going to chop up the firewood. You're going to draw the water, stuff which is not fun. But you'll be able to stay with us. To a certain degree, it's similar to second-class citizenship, which today is not that PC. But in the ancient world, was much better than death or even slavery. These guys are not, are not slaves. But rather, they are second, second tier, and they help. Now... Because they were involved in the Mishkan of Chotzvei Etzim Veshavei Maim, they were the help. So when Shaul goes on the rampage to take revenge on the Mishkan and all the Kohenim in Nov, who helped David, his sworn enemy, the Givonim get killed as well. And the Givonim, right? It says in the Pasuk there, they are nasty fellas. We saw already in Yoshua, they're not the nicest guys. They're not really trusted. But they come to the Vinamelech and say, we want blood. 
And it's a very interesting story there at the end of Sefer Shmuel, exactly how David Amelech does he give him blood? Does he not give him blood? To be continued. Follow through. You can see that at the end of Sefer Shmuel Bet. Right. We now move on. Perakut. The allies of the Jews are the Givonim. But the Givonim are a big fifth column in the middle of the land of Israel. Right? If this is the land of Israel. Okay. The Givonim sit bang in the middle. Right? This is Shechem. So... In order to fight them, or as in the Jews are coming in here, right? And across the Jordan, between the Kinneret and Yam Melach, And the Givonim are in Shechem, right opposite them, in the middle of the land of Israel. And the non-Jews, the Canaanim, freak out. And they decide to squash this fifth column and try and cut off the Jews from entering. Now we saw the Jews already dealt with Yericho. And they dealt with the eye. But they're not got that far in. So, Malkitzedek Melch Shalem and a bunch of other kings from the center of the country, right? They decide that they are going to go on a campaign against Givon and try and knock them out. The Givonim turn to Yoshua, who most of the people are still in the Gilgal. They're still on the border with the Yarden. They haven't moved into the rest of the land of Israel. Here we find a whole campaign against the Givonim. And the, the Givonim turn to Yoshua and say, Help. Alright? We ain't going we ain't, we ain't to last. This campaign is just going to swipe us off the map. So Yoshua does a fantastically daring move and he takes his army on a night raid and he catches these kings and smashes them to pieces. And we saw in the Psukim there, in Perikyud, right? Melchemet Amerikaz, we saw there that uh, the whole Nisim of God sends hail, right? Which helps Yoshua in his battle against them when they're running away up. And Yoshua stops the star on the moon, basically stops time in order to be able to kill these kings. Now, what that means is that basically means that the, la- the south of the land is now open to be captured. What's left? If we've killed the south, who, the north, fantastic. Now, Eva Yarden, by the way, has already been cleared by Moshe Rabbeinu. Now we have the north. The north, right? In the north, we have a very important kingdom, which is more or less around about here, right? Which is in the center of the north, right? The center of the south is to a certain degree is Yerushalayim. The center of the north is oh, Yerushalayim. Hebron is also the center of the south. The center of the north is Chatzor. Chatzor, which I th- if I'm not mistaken comes from the word Chatzir, which is hay. I think it's something to do with agriculture, but it could just be uh, me making it up. Chatzor is a very important city, and they, in Perik Yud Aleph, say, you know what? That campaign, that coalition, wasn't a bad idea. Let's try it ourselves. And they go out on an even bigger coalition, take all the kings of the north, and go out and face Joshua, and Joshua smashes them too. So, basically, we've now, in three prakim, cleared the whole of the land of Israel. Now, did this take a short time or a long time? Sometimes it takes a short time to describe it. Exactly, it takes a short time to describe it. It took about ten minutes. But it's actually a long time. Right? <coughs> it, it's not simple fighting these battles, but going back to the original answer, it took a short time. Because 
Luckily, or luckily, divine providence, all the Canaanite armies decided to march up to Joshua and be right in front of him to him to smash. If Joshua Benun and the Jewish people had to go by every single city and fight every single army and lay siege, because don't forget, in the ancient world, if you had an army and you had a city and you wanted to protect it, you had protected it from the inside. So you had to lay siege. Laying siege means a long time. You have to wait for their water to run out. You have to wait for their food to run out. You have to fight them with siege engines, battering rams, ladders, fire, catapults, all the business is a real pain, really hard, and you also need a lot more manpower Yoshua Benun and the Jewish people would have smashed themselves upon the rocks of all the sieges of the land of Israel. We see there are hundreds of little villages and towns that need to be conquered. And how many kings are there that were killed? We saw in Perakut Bet. That That whole list, 31, if I'm not mistaken, right? It says at the very end of Pasukut Bet, it says, Kolom Alchim Shloshim Ve'echad. 31 kings. Now, 31 kings is 31 armies. Imagine fighting 31 armies. How many Jews are there involved? More or less 2, 3 million, of which two-thirds are women and children. Right? So we're talking about, at this stage already, uh, again, it says explicitly at the end of the environment how many Jews there were. Not that many. Right? We're talking around about 600,000. Okay? Fighting Jews, right? Fighting men that are able to fight, including women and children, we get to about two, three million. But these guys have to fight through the whole of the land of Israel. That's a very hard fight. Now, who was afraid of that? Who saw that necessity and got cold feet? The Meraglim. The exactly. The Meraglim came back from their tour around the land of Israel and said, Guys, do you realize what we're up against? Right? They say, Arim. Right? They have, they are fortified, they are walled, there are giants. We're never going to fight them. They know the land. We're newcomers. We just ran out of Egypt. We've been walking around the desert for 40 years. We don't have any big fighting skills. We don't have engineers that can build the sieges of war. Fine. Baruch Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, arranged that all the kings either surrendered, like in Givon, or all marched up to Yoshua and basically said, kill me. As did Og Melech HaVashan and Sichon. Likewise, we saw that they go out. He leaves the city, does not have a siege, and tries to fight us on open battle. Now, that was a pretty short time. We managed to smite everyone and kill them all and get rid of them on in more or less a few prakim, as we saw. Now, The how many people are in the armies of... The, we don't actually know. Probably much less. But when it comes to siege, the ratios of a siege, you need about four times the amount of people. So even if... And I think even in, in ancient sieges, it might have even been up to ten times the amount of people. Imagine, today, we ha- our modern warfare is not human-based, mostly. In the ancient world, it was human-based. It was all muscle. It was basically who has the most muscle. That's why a person like Goliath, a giant, has a lot more military prowess than any small little schnip. All right? Again, another reminder, human beings in those days probably were around a meter and a half tall. 
and quite thin and sinewy. So they weren't like kind of big American football players. They're pretty small. They still packed a punch, but they weren't as strong as you might think. Now, in order to conquer a city, you need a lot of resources, right? And for example, the Roman army, which was the, which was the best army in the world, with all of their inventions of the siege engines, this is happening thousand years after this, right? The Roman army still took years, years, to lay siege on different cities like Jerusalem, and we know the story of Masada as well, it was not simple at all, bringing three Roman legions. Crazy, crazy stuff. So the amount of manpower that you would theoretically need was greatly saved here by the ness of fighting on open ground. Now, the fact that you've killed all the armies doesn't actually mean you've conquered the land. And that's the trick. And remember this, because we're going to see this in Sefer Shoftim. The fact that you've defeated the army doesn't mean that their territory is yours. You still have got to go and seize the territory and kick out all the remnants. Because don't forget, when you defeat an army, especially in the ancient world, right? even though it says, Adichad, you still kill everyone, they've all got families. They've all the old people, the young people. By the time you finished, all the guys that weren't old enough to fight in the army are now old enough to fight. So we'll see at the beginning of Sefer Shoftim, there are all sorts of different places around the land of Israel that the Jews never actually managed to root out the Canaanim, and they were plagued by the Canaanim for a long time afterwards. Fine, so we saw Perak, Yud Aleph, the war in the north. Perak, Yud Bet is the list of all the different kings that they killed along the way. 31 kings. Perak, Yud Gimel. Perak Yud Gimel is already the start of stage 3, stage C, right? And this is the stage of the Nachala, right? Again, I repeat, the very first Perak was introducing Yahshua. Then we had stage A, which was coming into the land of Israel. Then we had stage B, which was conquering the land of Israel. Now we have stage C, which is developing and settling the land of Israel. So the first Nachala we saw was Eva Hayarden. Right? Eva Hayarden is when Moshe Rabbeinu already in the Chumash gave two tribes and a half. And we'll talk about the half, Bezat Hashem, in a separate audio note that I'll send to the group. Right? Because there's something very interesting happening in that second half, which we'll also mention with connection to the next parak, Kafdalad, which will be on Sunday. So Eva Hayarden, these Nachalot, Ruven, Gad, and Chatishavad Menashe were given by Menashe Rabbeinu already in the in the desert, in the Chumash, right? That's not in this week's, not in Yosef uh, Yoshua. Then, after that, we give Kalev, right? Kalev gets Hebron. Who is Kalev? Yoshua's amigo, right? Yoshua and Kalev, Temet Chemed, they were the good spies, right? And Kalev, here's an interesting, have you ever been to Hebron? Have you ever met the guys in Hebron? They're a bit nuts, right? The guys in Hebron. Really tough guys. They're a bit fanatical, but they're really great guys. Great, and I, I served there as a soldier, so I, I know them close hand. They're really big Baalei Chesed. They host loads of people on Shabbat Chai Sarah, and they are really, really, really generous, and they give food to all the soldiers and take care of them. But the people that live in Hebron, you've got to be a bit fanatical to live in Hebron. It was true today. It was true then, right? It, as it is true today, it is true. It was true then. And Kalev was a bit of a nutcase, as we see from Sefer uh, Dvarim. Uh, sorry, Sefer Bamidbar, with the story of the of the spies. He settles in Hebron and really settles the land. 
and there's an interesting story there about his daughter as well, which we can talk about at another time. Right, Perik Tetvav. What happens in Perik Tetvav? Who gets first? Let's see if you remember. In the Nachalot, who gets Nachala first? Who's on first? Right, well, Reuven, you're right. Reuven, there is Evayar then. They already were sorted out. Right, let's draw another map here. Right, exactly. Right? Right, Reuven got over here. This is Reuven. On top of him is Gad. Right, on top of him is half of Menashe. Right? Now, that was Evayar then. Shevet Levi, where was Shevet Levi settled down? Everywhere. Everywhere, yeah, exactly. Because they, were the they were the educators. They were scattered around. So Shevet Levi is also mentioned in Perikud Gimel of people that were already given the Nachala. Right, so Levi is here. Right, they're the educators. Now, we start with the land. Who got first? Yehuda. Where does he get? In the, in the middle or actually in the south. Right? He basically gets from here. It's not a very accurate drawing. It probably should be better like this. Right? Fine. So he basically, we see... Sh- and imagine this goes on. Right. So Yehuda basically gets from, more or less, if you draw a direct line from the Dead Sea to the, to the, the, the Mediterranean Sea, cut the land in two, that's Shevet Yehuda. Right? Yehuda gets the biggest portion... Why? Exactly, he's the biggest tribe. Now, he gets the whole of the Negev. Now, don't be fooled, the Negev is half desert. So the Negev basically finishes from, from more or less over there, in the middle of the Dead Sea, in the south. Pretty useless. You've got the Har, you've got the hills in the middle, right? Yerushalayim at the top here, and Hebron, and Harei. Harei Hevron, Beersheva's at the bottom. From Beersheva south, not much going on. Shkoich. Right? Imagine the ancient world, you have no agricultural, you know, um, ingenuities of all the water uh, production that we have now today. To be able to bring water to the Negev is a huge miracle. Right? That was Ben-Gurion's dream, which is interesting enough. But that's modern history, not ancient history. Now, Yehuda settled here. Where uh, after Yehuda, who settled? That was Perek. Perek Tetvav is Yehuda. Perek Tetzain is Shivtei Yosef. Right, Yosef one. Yosef one is Ephraim. Interesting. Who is older, Ephraim or Menashe? Menashe. Menashe. So why does Ephraim get first? Exactly. With Yaakov. Yaakov gives a bracha to Ephraim. Who was the leader for the Jewish people that came out of Ephraim? Shaul came from Binyamin. One of the famous people that came out of Ephraim was Yoshua. Yoshua is from Ephraim, right? Very important. And if I'm not mistaken, also Ehud ben Gera is also from Ephraim. Right? It could be from Menashe. I think he's from Ephraim. Uh, Gidon is from Menashe. No, sorry. Ehud ben Gera is a Binyamin. Right? We have other people that come from Ephraim. But Ephraim, the big one, is Yoshua. Yoshua is the big guy from Ephraim. So Ephraim gets first. Where does Ephraim get? Ephraim gets, more or less, again, in the middle top of the land. He gets a little stripe here. Actually, more or less a stripe here. All right? This is Ephraim. 
Who gets after Ephraim? Perek Yudzayin. What's that? Exactly, the other half of Menashe, which themselves are a big group, right? And we'll talk about Menashe again in a separate audio note. They get over here, all right? They get basically from the Kinneret down to more or less the middle of the land of Israel. The main parts of their Nachala are in the hills, which is what we know today as Shomron, right? All the places in Shomron, or most of the places in Shomron, are in Ezor, Ye- uh, in Ezor Yosef. And who gets after Yosef? Close, but there's a guy in the middle. Tarte Mashma, there's a guy in the middle. Who's the guy in the middle between Yosef and Yoda? No. Ben Khtefav Shachen. Binyamin, very good. Binyamin is the wild card of the Shvatim. Right? He's the joker that fits in both packs of cards. He works in Yehuda, because we know the connection between Yehuda and Binyamin from the story of Yosef. Right? right? And he is Mibnei Rachel. He is from the family of Yosef. So Binyamin is right in the middle. By the way, Binyamin, there is the south of Binyamin and the north of Binyamin. Right? The south of Binyamin is, 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 is Yerushalayim, right? The north of Binyamin is Betel. And in Shev Binyamin is also Shiloh, in the middle. So we see very importantly the connection between the Binyamin is the Shevet of the Melucha, uh, the Shevet of the Mikdash. He is, although Levim work in the Mikdash, but all the holy sites in Israel are in Binyamin. Right, interestingly enough, what comes in Perak Yutret? Which tribe? All of them, right? Which is very interesting, because if you actually think about it, how many tribes of Israel are there? Come on. How many tribes of... These are the tribes of Israel, right? Twelve. Right, well, actually, twelve is a good question, because they're actually twelve. You knock off Levi, you add Ephraim, you get to... Twelve, right, exactly. And it says explicitly in the Pesachim, when they start giving them out, Twelve are the tribes, they all get portioned off here. For example, you get Naphtali, Issachar, Zvulun, Asher, Dan, or Dan. We'll talk about Dan when we get to the end of Shoftim, right? Zvulun, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, they all get stuff at the top. Dan is at the top and Dan is at the bottom, and we'll talk about that later on. there's a whole question, there's a whole parak about that at the end of Sefer Shoftim, with the whole story of Pesel Micha, and we'll talk about Dan Bezrat Hashem when we get there. Shimon is another interesting story, they basically get squashed inside Yehuda. It's a good question, there's not much of Shimon left, and that itself is a whole shit to be given about what happened to Shimon. So apart from the tribes that were on the other side of the Arden, and the main ones in the middle, we have in the north, a collection of all sorts of interesting tribes, and we'll get to all these tribes, and talk about them a bit more, in Perek Dalad of Shoftim, where we talk about Dvorah Barak and the big war that happened in the north. Fine. Last but not least, we now have Shevet Levi. I thought Shevet Levi doesn't get a Nachala. They get little bits. They get little bits. Fantastic. Shevet Levi gets chicken pox. Literally. Not literally. They get stuck all over the land of Israel, right? They're scattered like a packet of Smarties along the whole of the map, 
and they're studied around. Why? Because they're the educators. They are the religious figures that are there to guide the Jews throughout the uh, difficult job of settling the land. Shevet, that is the Arei Leviim and the Arei Miklat, which we talked about as well. That's Perik Kaf and Perik Kaf Aleph. And now we get to the end of the book. The end of the book are the, tra- are the chapters that we're reading at the moment. So if you haven't read them, here's the time to catch up. Perik Kaf Bet, Kaf Gimel, and Kaf Talit. Perik Kaf Bet is a very important chapter, which I might also even send a small piece on. Actually, you know what? We'll talk about this in the audio note. Um, about Shevet Menashe and Shevet Ever Yarden. Uh, they basically feel a bit abandoned because they're on the wrong side of the Jordan. Which, by the way, the Jordan then was big, right? It wasn't the Jordan as it is now because today all the Jordanians and the Syrians are all taking water, especially the Jordanians, taking water, pumping water out of the Yarden. But it used to be big enough that you could pass a ship down the Jordan River. Today you can hardly go down the Jordan River on a kayak. Right? But it used to be that you could be able to pass a ship down the Jordan River, and we'll talk about the Jordan throughout the Tanakh, because it's a very important strategic position, especially in the first few chapters of Shoftim. But in Perikaf Bet, we talk about them setting up a separate religious base in Ever Yarden, and then everyone basically gets all annoyed with them and saying, what are you doing? They say, you know what? This isn't a religious base. This is really supposed to remind us that we're part of you guys. As you pointed out, something shifty going on there. And I highly recommend you read up on that. Perak of Gimel is the famous speech by Yoshua basically saying, Listen guys, good job. We've made it. We're in the land of Israel. Now don't mess up. Which is a precursor for Shoftim, which is the story of them messing up. Messing up right? So basically Yoshua says, Listen guys. This is your job. Your job is now stay here and don't go anywhere. Don't leave Israel. Don't leave uh, Hashem. Don't leave the Torah. And that is in many ways a precursor for, for Shoftim. Perak and a lot of what Yeshua says will happen if you do leave actually happens when they do leave. Perak of Dalet, which we'll talk about in the audio note, uh, is the story of Yeshua in Shechem, right? And we'll talk about exactly, I don't know if we'll be able to mention everything, but we'll talk about hopefully the positioning of this at the end of the book, why was it there, did it actually happen then, and so on and so forth. And this is the story of the end of Yoshua, and Yoshua dies at the end of the end of Perikaftalit. Right? So basically we have four main pieces of Sefer Yoshua. We have piece, let's call it piece X, which is the story of Yoshua, which is Perik Aleph. And the last few three prakim, Perik Kafbet, Kafgimel Kaftalid where the story of Yoshua and the Jews in continuing Moshe Rabbeinu's derech. In the middle, we have A, B, and C. A is coming into the land of Israel. B is conquering the land of Israel. And C is selling the land of Israel. And we will end with the idea that if you read Sefer Yoshua, you realize that we're all settlers at heart. And we should all follow the Settlers' Creed. What's the Settlers' Creed? Read Rav Cook.